0: Welcome to Roundtables on Race, the podcast that seeks to explore the relationship between race and the many facets of our society. I'm your host, the Reverend Kathy Walker, and this season we're exploring the intersection of race and voting rights. Over the course of it, we've compared historical and contemporary trends, examined the systemic and intentional barriers to voting, heard about the mindset of young adult voters, and learned about the impact of the courts on everyone's ability to vote. Believe it or not, today is our season finale, and we bring it on home with two very special guests from two political parties who are working together to ensure everyone is able to vote. Just as importantly, trust that their vote counted and mattered. Bob Orr is a former Republican Justice of the State Supreme Court. North Carolina, and Jennifer Roberts, a current Democrat and former mayor of Charlotte. Together, they are working as part of the Carter Center's Conflict Resolution Program by undertaking the North Carolina Network for Fair, Safe, and Secure Elections, otherwise known as the Trusted Elections Tour. Throughout the fall, they have visited all of the congressional districts in North Carolina as part of a bipartisan effort with each stop featuring panels of election security experts, local election officials, and attorneys from both major parties to explain the election process and the appropriate ways to resolve any questions or disputes. Welcome, Justice Orr and Mayor Roberts. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Kathy. Wonder, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what was the genesis for this? Um, this tour how did you all
1: even get started with this
0: <laughs>
1: well Jennifer i blame it all on <laughs> yeah i blame it all on bob <laughs> <laughs> we um you know the carter center hired us to um work in north carolina to build a network of folks um you know from nonprofits former elected officials parents you know regular people and also some um um sort of faith leaders and cultural leaders um influencer I guess you would say to try to get the message out that we can trust our elections and so in thinking you know how you know what's the best way to try to get this message out Bob said why don't we do a town hall in each of our 14 congressional districts in the course of five weeks
2: <laughs> I, I, I knew Jennifer could plan it You know, I I had the idea, but it took a lot of hard work and I I knew I could count on her.
1: (laughs) Well, it was actually, it was a great idea. I mean, town halls are a way that people can feel that they can have their questions answered. They can see people in person. Um, They can get more information from the experts who are working the system all the time. Uh, it was, uh, we, we should have started a little bit earlier, I guess, is the, uh, the challenge we had, (laughs) because when you, when you multiply, we also did a virtual event. So we had 15 events and each one had about seven speakers. So, you know, we had to find 105 speakers (laughs) for that many different events within like four weeks. So
2: (laughs) spread all across the state, literally from Wilmington to Asheville, Edenton to, uh, Belmont, (laughs) it It was a, a huge challenge,
1: no challenge, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah, so, so you know it was really um uh <laughs> it was really interesting going all over the state and uh seeing folks uh from every um you know small towns and big cities uh we went to some small places, um some of the counties we ran only had you know thirty three thousand registered voters here in mecklenburg. We have I don't know seven hundred and something thousand <laughs> voters. Um, and across the state, how many do we have, Bob?
2: 7,345,000 as of a few weeks ago, but I suspect that's that's growing every day.
1: Yep.
0: So you embark on this tour and what was the overarching message that you wanted to deliver in these small towns and in these rural and in these large cities as well?
2: Well, I I think the the name of the tour says it all, the the Trusted Elections Tour. We we discovered pretty early on, and it was the genesis for um, doing this project, uh, is that most people don't know a lot about the election system. We take it for granted. You know, you you go and vote, you walk away, if you haven't been involved with... um, uh, the election apparatus, you don't have any real sense of, of, of how it works and the safeguards that are in place. I mean, it really is an enormous operation. And, and frankly, I think Jennifer and I would both say we, lear- we learned a lot from it, but by, by being able to go out uh, into the communities with a bipartisan uh, group of speakers, uh, it was a, a really good opportunity to to address misconceptions and, and and false impressions about how the system works about safeguards about the security of the process and and again I, I think we worked really hard to try and get Republicans and Democrats uh, to be on our, our panels and you know d- Regardless of which party you might be affiliated with, or if you're unaffiliated, like a third of North Carolinians, you know you're hearing people from both political parties saying, "Hey, this this is a really good system." I mean, uh, and I I would start in our very first uh, uh, panel that we had in Wake Forest. I'm not even sure what congressional district that is. We had uh, had the uh, Uh, probably the leading Republican lawyer in the state who's represented the Republican Party in all of this very controversial uh, litigation, say, we have a great election system. We do it right in North Carolina, and there's a right way to do it, and I have confidence in this system. And that was an important message for those in the audience uh, who were Republicans or had doubts about it, to hear that message, you know, not not from a Democrat or from an election official, but from somebody of their own uh, political persuasion.
1: Yeah, um, Bob, I remember the um, Republican attorney in um, in uh, Hickory said we should be confident in our system because it is bipartisan by design. So every time there's a disputed ballot, or you know, you have to adjudicate a provisional ballot there's a Republican board member and a democratic board member who look at it together. So it is, it's bipartisan by design on purpose. And each side, um, you know, stands to, to lose if they don't trust it (laughs) because it is um, it has input from, from both parties. And I think what we discovered is, you know, as Bob said, a lot of people don't think about what happens to their ballot after they cast their ballot. I mean, i've been a candidate and i don't know 14 or so uh, elections and i never thought about what happens to it after uh, you cast your ballot um but a lot of people move here from other states and also people listen to national news and they hear that the secretary of state in whatever you know other state is trying to rework the results or something our secretary of state in north carolina doesn't have anything to do with the way we run local elections uh, and it's just a very different system. We have professionals in place. And what we found a lot of times is we were answering questions from folks who just moved here from Arizona or New Jersey or Florida and, um, you know, explaining this, is the system here, not, you know, what you've been hearing about in the news in other states or what you were used to before. So it was a great opportunity to to get a sense of how much our state is growing because we do have so many folks from other places moving here. Um, But also that there are people who, you know, who are willing to listen and want to hear and learn. And we got great media coverage um, that also, you know, expanded the reach of what we were doing. And uh, we hope that it had some impact. So
0: question for both of you, I think, is in this political climate and you have this a trusted election tour, are we reinforcing trust in the system or are we rebuilding trust in the system at this time
2: well if you look at the polling numbers uh, there is a lack of confidence in the system and that's because the uh, uh, the election process has been nationalized through the media and and so uh, and and I think the lack of trust because of uh, the 2020 election and you know Trump's efforts to try and cast doubts on the validity of of that election. You know you you have a higher percentage of Republicans saying they don't trust the uh, the election system, they don't think their votes will be counted uh, fairly and accurately, and and so uh, it it is rebuilding it, but also among new voters, new voters to the state, new voters just registering for the first time that you know, maybe for whatever reason over the years, never chose to register and vote. Uh, so it's both restoring trust for those who've been in the process and lost it, but also developing trust for those new to the system and um, new to the voting process. So uh, and, and you know, I, I use this example whenever we're talking about it. There, there are a lot of misconceptions. We had a lady in Edenton who was really upset because she said, She received 16 absentee ballots. Well, you know, we all, yeah, we raised our eyebrows, you know, about it. Turns out she got 16 applications for absentee ballots. You know, the parties and the candidates were sending all these applications, but she had not been able to make that distinction. You might send in 16 applications, but you're only going to get one absentee ballot. You know, there are all sorts of safeguards in place to make sure that happens. And so, um, in a lot of ways, it was an educational tour for all of us, and and, and it was great. Uh, the The professionals we have at the state and local level are really extraordinary individuals. I mean, they you know they they operate on a bipartisan basis. They uh, they really understand the all of the laws and regulations that control it. I mean, the the laws in North Carolina, the book is about two inches thick. I mean, there are all sorts of laws and regulations that govern everything from absentee ballot process, to early voting provisions, to registration. I mean, and, and the professionals make sure we abide by the law.
0: Mm-hmm. From one side of the state to the other, were there any um, general misconceptions that you heard across the state? Or did you find that, you know, that they were different depending upon where you were?
1: Well, we found out that people really don't trust machines. <laughs> 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 well, they, really, they really don't trust software and, you know, things they can't see inside the, the box. Um, but we were, you know, we had our cybersecurity expert who actually works for the State Board of Elections affirm that none of the machines that people use to vote on are connected to the Internet they use a flash drive. The flash drive gets reloaded into another machine that tabulates the results. And then that flash drive actually gets, after the precincts close, close, gets driven down to the county where it's loaded onto that machine and the tabulator counts all those. And then it's transmitted to the state. But but what we learned is that that the actual vote is um, backed up by paper. Every Every single vote in North Carolina is backed up by a paper ballot, and so if there ever were a real concern, you can do what they call a hand-eye recount and actually look through all the paper ballots, which would take a long time. But they yeah. do um, audits, you know, sort of random audits of different precincts every election to make sure that that those tabulators are actually reading things the right way. But we discovered a lot of people just don't trust machines. And there were you know, people asking questions like, how do you know there's not a modem in the machine? So we actually had one county information officer um, to get together with his elections director and said, OK, if I'm going to answer this question on a panel, I have to see it with my own eyes. So they actually took apart the machine, which, of course, spoils it. You can't use it. You got to send it back to Raleigh and get it recertified but he took it apart so he could see with his own eyes that there is no modem in there. <laughs> it's not connected to anything. <laughs> so that was uh, interesting.
0: <laughs> that That is interesting. Um, I think that, um, you know, and it, I think the problem with the machines, I guess, is that people have just, again, heard so much, right? We've heard some of the Major um, voting machines um, have been assaulted. You know the the owners about how they can how they process ballots and all of that. That um, it, it's easy to understand at this point why in this era of misinformation, are there any? You know, do you think as you listened and you participated in this tour, do you think you have advice that you could offer? about how we could seek to minimize the amount of misinformation that is available today during our voting process?
2: Well, I would say that we, we certainly uh, learned that the local boards of elections, and if you think about it, as somebody pointed out, we really have 100 small elections in each of the 100 counties of the state. You know, it's not like there's some monolithic uh, operation of the election system. We we have local county uh, election boards. You know they're they're bipartisan. They have professionals, um, and they are more than willing to uh, to entertain questions and concerns that uh, people have. They're willing to put on programs to go to uh, ser- uh, events like we put on to explain it. So. Uh, you know, part of it is if you're concerned about something, ask, you know, and they're more than willing to work with you. We really need the media and those social influence on social media to to do a better job of, of putting out accurate information about how the system works. Um, you know, Jennifer, what was the, uh, um, what was that data deal that that they wanted to pull off voting records here in North Carolina, but under oh, the, the laws of North yeah, yeah, under under North Carolina laws it, you know, you, you don't have access to this particular deal. So um and Jennifer can explain cast, it better than me. It's the,
1: the cast vote record, yeah. which is um yeah, actually has the person's name and their ballot connected and that's not allowed to be released. It's it by law. It's a privacy thing. You want a secret ballot. Um, but people kept insisting that they should see those uh, So in some it, states allow it
2: you know so you know it, again it's people pulling off of the national media um, uh, and like Jennifer said, Secretary of states who are elected officials uh, in other states have a have a heavy role uh, in elections We don't we have a uh, have an independent five member state board depending on who's governor it's either three Democrats, two Republicans, three Republicans, two Democrats, uh, and they don't answer to the governor. They don't answer to the secretary of state. They are independent and they are bipartisan with a professional uh, director uh, for uh, the state uh,
1: system. We had some really fun exchanges between some of the board members at uh, several of the meetings. There'd be a Republican board member and a Democratic board member who'd be talking to each other and they'd say, we don't agree on anything in our ideology, but when it comes to adjudicating ballots, we always agree. Like we have hardly ever had a disagreement when it comes to actually processing these votes. um but they they would laugh and say, "You know, we don't agree on on health care or education or other things, but we do agree on voting <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there was an interesting one in um I think it was in Moore County where the the Democratic member said, "Well, personally, I'd like to have every precinct open for early voting for the whole time to make it very accessible, you know, not just a few early voting sites." And then the Republican member said, Yeah, but that would cost a heck of a lot of money." <laughs> and so <laughs> what you realize is that there are constraints because of uh, the finances and the resources, but the um but and again, even though they had different views of of how many sites should be open and how long, et cetera, they agreed that you know once the process is set and you follow it, and uh, it's um you know, something that that you uh, support the system. And I think that is uh, we 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 did some polling about how do you get ahead of misinformation. And what we found is that when when voters do get accurate information from a trusted source, And, you know, a nonpartisan state official who, you know, works for the Board of Elections is a trusted source. When you get the accurate information um, that makes sense uh, that, you know, ahead of time, that really does increase confidence. Um, You know, the misinformation is still going to be out there. And we've seen it on both sides of the aisle. You know, we have Democrats saying the machines are made by Republicans, you know. <laughs> and, and then, of course, um, um, we also heard that people trust the system more now because there are observers. Um, they allow partisan observers in each of the polling sites. They have to be quiet. They have to stand in a certain place. They can't interfere with anybody's voting. But there was one person who gave a comment at one of our meetings that said, "Yeah, I I trust our election now because it's we're 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 all watching, right? We're watching so much." And great. Um they want that transparency. They want people to trust it and if that's, you know, what what makes you trust it? Good. We're we're glad that we want everyone to feel they can vote safely and securely and their ballot's going to count.
0: That's awesome. So now let's ask
1: uh,
0: as we think about the court system and where we're headed, so North Carolina is this test state, right? We've got right. a litigation pending in the United States Supreme Court. Um, is that possibly, um, depending upon the outcome, is that something that could upend our trust in the election system and how we move forward?
2: Well, uh, the, the the Moore v. Harper case, which comes out of the redistricting Litigation here in North Carolina has arguably a fairly narrow focus on the time, place, and manner of the election of, of members of Congress, uh, representatives, and senators, uh, and arguably doesn't impact the overall system. Uh, th- my concern, you know, having been an appellate judge for 18 years, is how the opinion gets written. I mean, do you give greater life and expansion to this so-called independent legislative theory that allows the legislature, Democrat or Republican, controls it, you know, to, to be able to uh, uh, engage in, in laws affecting the election of United States senators and, and members of Congress without any sort of judicial oversight uh, in the state to see whether constitutional provisions uh, in the state constitution have been uh, violated. So it's it it, it's received a, a huge amount of attention. There are probably 30, 35 amicus briefs from around the country that have been filed. Um, it's very interesting. I just saw today that Michael Luddick, who is a retired U.S. Fourth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals judge and a staunch Conservative Republican had signed on with the um, uh, the plaintiffs in the case opposing the position of the North Carolina General Assembly uh, on the expansion of this. So um, it, it, it is bringing out, you know, uh, the heavyweights, so to so to speak. But um, yeah, I mean, and one of the things that I think I, I would like to emphasize about our tour. We tried not to get involved in in policy questions.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: should h- how many days of early voting should there be? Where should they be? Uh, the, you know, the voter ID, the highly controversial and litigated voter ID uh, question. You know, I, ours was to talk about the mechanics and the process by which our system works.
1: On the voter ID issue, that's an interesting one because the um there were a lot of people very concerned you know how do you know the person is who they say they are even though our elections are so local i mean every time i go to my precinct i know everybody behind the desk right they all know me i mean it's not a very big precinct and um uh, that you know really reassures people but they were very careful to explain the checks and balances when you first register you do have a photo id um you know, the address check. I mean, there's so many things that um, uh, they use to make sure that people aren't double voting. In fact, they told a funny story about someone who tried to vote twice because his his father had just passed away and he had the same name. And so he, he tried to go to his father's precinct to vote for him, and he forgot and left his I voted sticker on. And so they... <laughs> immediately looked a little more closely at his name and his address and realized no you've already voted sir (laughs) got to be more careful (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah.
2: well i I mean it was pointed out that uh if you violate the laws dealing with you know voting twice or uh, improperly harvesting absentee ballots and the like I mean, you, you can be convicted of a felony, and and it's like, in, in the greater scheme of things, shall we say, the penny ante fraud that may go on across the state is minuscule, uh, and I think that was emphasized by speakers across the board. Um, you know, sort of the, the macro fear, and our cybersecurity expert addressed this uh, question, is uh, can the Russians... Hack into the North Carolina uh, system and change the outcome, and I, I thought it was really interesting. And Jennifer, I, I think this is the correct answer from our, our cybersecurity experts. Yeah, they might hack in, but you know they're going to get caught, and it's not going to change the results. Uh, but uh, you, you were you were talking Kathy about uh, you know people you know, not having faith in machines. machines. In part, it's because, I mean, in, in church on Sunday, our our rector uh, warned us of a phishing uh, effort uh, with emails coming to parishioners uh, ostensibly from him, you know, and, and it was, you know, so you hear this on a day-in, day-out basis that, you know, major corporations are hacked into, People are trying to, you know, get into your computer. So it, th- there is this legitimate concern out there, but I think it, it 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 helps create this concern that the machines and the and the system is somehow going to be broken into or fraudulently manipulated uh, for partisan purpose and. You know it, it, it's hard to convince people, you know, particularly when there are entities out there doing this with everything from banks to uh, emails uh, and the like.
1: Yeah, and I think Bob, that was an um important aspect of what we heard as well, is that yes, there are attempts to hack in, uh, hack into systems, and the at the federal and the state level, we're constantly watching those threats um they also were were very um open about the fact that there are also human errors that happen uh, right you know we sometimes we miss someone's name or we forget to put the initial in or we do something and and someone gets challenged and realizes it was our error you know it was the um election officials errors and we can get corrected But what we learned is that there there are so many checks and balances There are different aspects of the process so that if there is a hack or there is a mistake that is a human error, the system catches it, you know, 99% of the time somebody else comes behind or some other part of the system and they realize that something isn't quite right. They investigate and they correct it. So that was also reassuring, I think was the honesty of, yeah, we make mistakes sometimes. There was a story of, um, You know, they remove people. Once they pass away, they take those names off the voter rolls. And there was a story in one of our counties where um, a woman showed up to vote and they had her as deceased and she showed up. And so they looked very carefully and they realized is that there were two women with the exactly same name and exact same birth date in that county. Wow. Like how often would that happen? But they had taken the wrong person off the voter rolls, and so <laughs> they let her vote. They investigated and and figured it out, and you know those kind of things that happen. The other thing that's important about countering misinformation, you know, admitting there are human errors, being honest <laughs> about that. Um, but the second one is is not uh, blaming or shaming people who have questions. Right? Is recognizing and affirming that you know we understand this is complicated we understand there are a lot of um you know things out there on the internet that people have said and done and you you know a lot of different states and so we understand why there is distrust right we get that um you don't call anybody a name or say that they're being ridiculous you affirm that and then you come behind with the real information and that makes a big difference
2: Two points I'd like to make uh, with the limited time we have. One is that we're an incredibly fast-growing state uh, with more and more registered voters, more and more people voting, which is good. Um, We have people moving in here. But our election systems, the local county boards and the state board, have not really been adequately funded and staffed to keep up with this uh, extremely uh, fast-growing population and utilization of the system, and so uh, I, I really would encourage listeners to, uh, you know, want talk to your county commissioners, your representatives, and say, "Hey, you want fair, safe, and secure elections? You got to make sure the professionals in the system uh, that they're operating is adequately." funded and up-to-date on technology, Uh, and the other one is, and and Jennifer knows I'm bad about saying, oh, here's here's what we need to do. Uh, You know, there really needs to be a statewide commission on elections, you know, bipartisan or nonpartisan with business community engaged, faith community engaged, and let's talk about how we want our elections to operate, I mean, you know i don't I don't think there's anybody in either party that wants to see a fraudulent uh, flawed system. And so um, you know, surely people of good faith, you know can come together. Uh, and I mean, you look at the progress we had. I mean, you know, the disenfranchisement of voters, you know, whether you go back to women couldn't vote, to the limitations on the African American community. Uh, You had to be 21 to vote when I started. Now you're 18. So there's, you know, there's, there's a change there. Um, You know, how do you want to verify somebody when they come to the polls? Do you want to use, you know, high tech eyeball retina scans or, you know, is some sort of government issued photo ID a way to do it? But, but, you know, there's too much partisanship and divide over issues that I'm convinced the bulk of North Carolinians could agree on a, on a solution that's fair to everyone. And I think then builds greater, uh, greater confidence in the system.
1: Yeah, and Bob, you mentioned something really important there. And that is that there are communities that have been disenfranchised uh, in the past, and they are very concerned that we could slip backward um and that there are you know some people call it electioneering you know try to get your voters to come out make it hard for other voters to come out it's not fair uh we should be supporting having everyone have access uh and that's you know that's why the the sites of um early voting you know those are important uh we should be uh realizing that uh, a democracy functions best when everyone has a say and when they feel that they're being listened to, we also, you know, the Carter Center did some polling of of voters about the whole thing about misinformation, and we discovered there's a lot of distrust. It's a lot of distrust from all sides uh, about the government because of, you know, past hijinks and uh, and, and efforts to um, suppress votes to um, make you know some votes not count as much as others with gerrymandering and others. So we have work to do, and I think the idea of a bipartisan commission um, looking at how do we want to have fair, safe, and secure elections going forward. We heard from our, our cyber folks that 2020 was the most secure election we've had, you know, the national election, um, but we can keep getting better. And I, I think with access and with information, uh, we certainly can continue to uh, to improve.
2: And, and considering, I think, um... considering our host on the on the podcast here, I, I would really encourage the faith community of, mm-hmm. across the spectrum, uh, you know, to say, "Hey, aren't we all for fair, safe, and secure elections?" You know, if if government won't put together a commission, hey, we'll put together Episcopalians and and Free Will Baptist and Methodist. And, uh, you know, put somebody's got the leadership uh, capacity to do it and. Uh, it's a voice that needs to be heard, uh, and you know you you won't always agree on on how many early voting days you should have, but you know I, I think there are probably just as many in one party as the other that likes to go and vote. In fact, as soon as I get to the mountains, first thing I'm going to do is vote. First day <laughs> of early voting. Uh, but um, anyway, I, I encourage those of you who are in leadership positions in the faith community to 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 look at the broader picture here on that.
0: And, and, and it's hopeful that perhaps some of us, um, certainly, if, if t- will either take the leadership or certainly be um, participants in the process, because I think you're right. I think that we all have um, an equal share and an in, in, in equal stake in what happens going forward. Based on the concerns that you heard around the state, do you really think democracy is on the ballot this year? Is that a thing?
2: Well, I, I think democracy is is more fragile than we would like to think. and a a fair, safe system of elections is the underpinnings of democracy and and so if if people's confidence, in the elections are eroded, thus questioning the legitimacy of people who are in office. You know, just you know, to use obviously the the, the most flagrant example, Joe Biden isn't really president. You know, when we all know Joe Biden is really the president. You know, uh, but you know it. That kind of uh, mindset does. Undermine democracy, and and since we've seen more and more of it, you know that peaceful transfer of power that we talk about. I mean, that's such a critical component of, of how it uh, how it works. So,
1: yeah.
2: you know, we always say every election is the most important in our lifetime, and maybe it's true. Every every succeeding election is the most important one, but I I, I do think there are legitimate concerns about democracy in part because of the loss of 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 um, of confidence in the election system
1: we also we also know that our country is more polarized than we've been since the Civil War, uh, especially politically, and our identities have become more tied up with our um, politics and that's not healthy the uh, lack of trust, but also the, the whole idea of not accepting an election result that, that gets, you know, the, the big steal, the big lie. Um, and we have candidates in, um different states who are saying the same thing, that they're, you know, not so sure that they'll ac- accept the result if they lose. Um, that, that, that really is undermining democracy because, you know, you have to play by the rules, You have to, uh, the rules of democracy, you know, one person, one vote, you have to accept those results. And if we start to undermine elections all over the country by refusing to accept results, then yes, democracy is threatened. And, you know, the Carter Center um, has worked with elections monitoring around the world and has helped to, um, reinforce the norms of democracy, that you have a civil campaign, that you don't promote violence, um, that you um, try to be as honest as you can. Um, we know that a lot of campaign ads stretch the truth, um, but not knowingly spreading bad information, right? Um, the, the, you know, sort of the the basic norms of democracy. And one of those is when all the votes are counted and recounted and everything is certified that you accept those results. And what's um amazing to me is that we still hear candidates around the country refusing to sign on to that. So you know, as so. early
0: voting begins, a uh, trusted election tour, I guess, comes to an end. But is there work that you all still have to do? And will you continue to do something post-election 2022? Because we know another election is right behind it.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Carter Center uh, had... Has embarked on an experimental project with North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, and part of Florida uh, being the test states, shall we say? And what they're going to do is take what what we've all learned, uh, what worked, what didn't work, our concerns, and and try and expand it on a broader scale nationwide, going into the 2024 election cycle, which of course is a presidential year, and. Uh, it, it is an enormous task. I mean, uh, but it, it's one that I think everybody feels is important. So, yeah, we're not one hundred percent sure what we'll be doing in North Carolina, uh, and you know, they, they, Jennifer and I may be worn out after this. They may have new co-chairs or something, but I, we're 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 invested and committed to this.
1: And we'll um, yeah, we'll have a final report. Uh, of what we learned on the tour, um we'll we're also going to be having some um training on messaging in the next uh, week or so. We have a, a media team that's looked at all the polling and we're gonna to try to get some messages out ahead of the you know November the eighth uh, on you know, supporting democracy, on being you know, doing your patriotic duty and being kind to your election workers. Let them do their work in peace, right? And uh, and trust them because they are your neighbors and, and friends and um, that's uh, that's how our system is is um, strong and how it works. So we'll be doing some of that and uh, looking to twenty twenty four and um, of course in North Carolina we have elections every year. We have municipal elections in the odd year. so we'll have them in twenty twenty three as well. But uh, the 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 work never ends, as we learned from our yeah. election experts. They work yeah, on a right uh,
0: Gen-
2: Jennifer, in conjunction with uh, Save Democracy, did I get the name correct, Jennifer? Uh, uh, Secure Democracy. Secure Democracy uh, had a, a Zoom call with members of the media talking about, uh, we want you to know how the election system is working and, and how the, um, you know, if a problem arises, you know, if, if the media says, voter fraud in precinct number seven in Charlotte, and they make a big deal out of it. Um, you know, that is a negative. If in fact it's, you know, one person that somebody is challenged because they think they vote, voted twice. I mean, you know, it's a, a minuscule issue that we don't need the media blowing up into some sort of major uh, scandal. So so part of it is is making sure the media is is on board and understanding all of this, uh, particularly as we go into this election here in three weeks.
0: Three weeks, here we go. Yeah. well, this has been it sounds like an amazing adventure. Um, we are so grateful to you, Bob Orr, and to Jennifer Roberts for, A, taking this on, and and also for speaking to us today. Um, And with that, we conclude this second season of our podcast. And we thank all of you who have joined us on this journey so far. And we look forward with continuing it with you. Until then, thank you for listening to season two. Don't forget to vote. And we'll see you soon for season three of Roundtables on Race.